Be Wealthy and Smart, episode 470. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we're going to talk about preparing for the next market crisis. Because recently, we had a day where the Dow Jones dropped 800 points last week. And a lot of people have seen more volatility in the last few weeks than we've seen in the last couple of years. So people are wondering how to prepare, what to do. And I found this article in Investor's Business Daily that says, a decade after the start of the financial crisis, 28% of financial advisors say baby boomer clients are the best prepared generation for a future market downturn. Another 21% say millennials are the readiest. Well, I don't know which generation is the readiest. It sounds like they think that the baby boomers are, but I will say that the article has a little survey that they did, and they talk about what are the top steps to prepare for the next market crisis and low priorities for preparing for the next market crisis. Let's talk about the top steps to prepare. And it was interesting to me to see the number one thing they say is to teach about market cycles. Well, that's right up my alley because as you know, I love talking about bubbles and cycles. And I think that bubbles and cycles are things that are not really taught very well among the traditional uh, financial advisor community. And a lot of investors aren't really that educated on bubbles and cycles. So I wanted to read to you a little bit from my book, You're Already a Wealth Heiress, Now Think and Act Like One, Six Practical Steps to Make It a Reality Now. And I wanted to share with you uh, something I said about cycles because I really do think it is one of the most astounding parts of my book. Uh, And it was intentionally done that way. It's chapter three, The Nature of Bubbles and Cycles. And this was really astounding to me because after decades in the investment world, I actually learned this after leaving. I didn't learn it while I was in there. In other words, it's not something that's taught in financial courses. It's not taught in business school. It's not taught in traditional investing. It's something that I just happened to catch a couple of very seasoned financial experts who talked about cycles. And so I wanted to share this with you. So my quote at the head of the chapter is that everything moves in waves and cycles, even your investments. And that's so true. What I found is that this information has been known to a very small group of elite people that discovered cycles years and years ago and really have kept that information to themselves other than, as I said, a few 
uh, high and financial experts who worked for Goldman Sachs and who have worked for governments at the government level, worked for very exclusive institutions, uh, very high net worth individuals, etc. And it's something that I just think we need to know more about. And this is something that you can use in the stock market. It's something you can use in real estate. It's something you can use in any kind of investing, and it even goes beyond the investment world. So again, this is a whole chapter. I'm just going to share with you a small part, but this I found really, really interesting and wanted to share this with you. I found another organization, the Foundation for the Study of Cycles, that had been one of the first to discover cycles. I learned that there are 4,200 cycles on the planet that have been documented by FSC, which was started when Herbert Hoover hired Harvard economist Edward Dewey to investigate what caused the Great Depression. Dewey had been able to eliminate all the reasons you might think caused the Depression, such as layoffs and economic policy. Following the 1929 crash and resulting depression, he found that cycles were more useful for predicting economic events than any amount of economic theory that he had learned. Prominent entrepreneurs like George Westinghouse started backing the research. Other important businessmen in 1931 heard about the project and formed a committee. Out of that committee, the Foundation for the Study of Cycles was born. FSC's founding members included people such as the director of the Bank of England, executives from the Smithsonian, Harvard, Yale, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, Carnegie Institute, Princeton University, McGill University, and representatives from the United Nations. Later, a vice president of the United States and billionaire investors would become prominent members. So you think they discovered something? <laughs> That's quite a panel they put together of top people to harness this information for themselves. And that's exactly what they did over uh, a period of time. And they studied cycles and they were able to determine what moved in cycles and what in the economy moved in cycles, whether it was different kinds of agriculture, crops, commodities, whether it was stocks or bonds, whether it was real estate, whether it was the business cycle, whether it was the presidential election cycle. So one of the things that was very interesting was after learning that this very exclusive group was formed to study cycles and that that's what they were blaming the stock market crash on, uh, that after doing all extensive research, looking at everything and really getting to the bottom of it, uh, they really attributed it to cycles. But another thing that was interesting is later on, a cycle researcher named W.D. Gann reportedly amassed a fortune by studying cycles. He amassed a fortune of $50 million, and this was in the early 1900s. So imagine how much money that would be now. That would literally be billions in today's dollars. But he was able to study cycles and made 264 profitable trades out of 286 trades in 25 market days. Anyone who studies markets and trades markets knows that is not a random number. That is uh, someone who is uh, getting a very high rate of success, and that's not normal. And here's what Gann said about the law of vibration and that stock movements could be determined mathematically using that law. He said, quote, through the law of vibration, every stock in the market moves in its own distinctive sphere of activities 
as to intensity, volume, and direction. All the essential qualities of its evolution are characterized in its own rate of vibration. Stocks, like atoms, are centers of energy. Therefore, they are controlled mathematically. Stocks create their own field of action and power, power to attract and repel, which principle explains why certain stocks at times lead the market and turn dead at other times. Thus, to speculate scientifically, it is absolutely necessary to follow natural law. And then I go on to say, lest you think this is foolishness, the New York Stock Exchange apparently does not. A painting of Gann hangs there. So I'm not going to go into my whole chapter on bubbles and cycles. If you want to read that chapter, you can pick up a copy of the book on Amazon, and I'll leave a link in the show notes for you. But I want to continue on with this Investor's Business Daily article, which again said, Uh, Over 65% of financial advisors said teaching about market cycles would prepare you for the next market crisis. The next most popular answer was focusing on comprehensive financial planning, which was about 55%. So again, taking a comprehensive view of financial planning, looking at your whole portfolio, your asset allocation, all of those things, I think make good sense to prepare for the next market crisis. Then they talked about adding annuities for guaranteed income and adding annuities for downside protection, which is a strategy that you can use. It's not for everyone, and it might only be appropriate for certain people, but those are things that uh, provide some guarantees, and therefore some people do consider them a way to have less risk in your portfolio. The next response was about 25% said investing more conservatively. And, you know, that is always something you want to look at, not properly diversified. That's something to be aware of and potentially re-examine your asset allocation. The next one was about 22% reducing client debt. So definitely uh, reducing debt would be a way to prepare for the next crisis to not have a lot of debt outstanding either personally or perhaps in your different investments. And finally, about 20% said using alternative asset classes. So these are things that are not highly correlated with the stock market and can provide some cushion for your account. Then the article went on to say low priorities for preparing clients for next market crisis would be holding more cash. About 12% said that's a low priority. Although, you know, I have to say Warren Buffett is holding over $100 billion in cash. And that is because we do have regular steep market corrections and you have to have some cash to be able to take advantage of those. So I would say that while you don't want to necessarily try and time the market or have too much cash that can be a drag on your return, There are times when you can just feel the market's getting a little frothy or you can feel that people are getting a little bit too complacent where they just assume the market's going to go up. They're not talking about risk. In my experience, I've always felt a bit of fear that there could be a loss when I invest. And that's just that contrarian nature. If you aren't feeling fearful, if if you're feeling too overconfident that the market's going to go up, Sometimes that is complacency. If people are, you know, like saying, oh, don't worry about it. The market's going to just go up another 50% from here. Nothing's going to stop this market. Well, things do stop it and cycles do happen. And so 
it's important to maybe have some cash available to take advantage of buying opportunities. And since Warren Buffett is one of the best investors in history, I think when he's holding on to a lot of cash, it's worth taking notice. The next thing was maximizing tax advantage investments. It was about 11%. So again, there are uh, different municipal bonds or other strategies that could be taxed advantage that you might want to consider for the next market crisis. About 9% said strategies like shorting. There are ETFs that you can buy that go up when the market goes down. The problem with that is you need to be right twice. You need to be right before the market goes down and you need to be right at the bottom so that when the market turns around and bounces or heads back up, you're out of that investment. And so I don't really recommend that people try this short-term strategy of trying to short the market. Uh, I do think it's to your advantage to be a long-term investor and your chances of gains are much better when you're investing for the long haul rather than trying to do these short-term trades. Increasing foreign exposure, that was about 6% thought of that as a low priority for preparing clients for the next market crisis. And I think that's because the emerging markets have done so poorly this year. The dollar's been very strong and emerging markets carry a lot of debt in dollars. And so as the dollar goes up, that makes their debt increase. It is a difficult time for smaller countries and their performance has not been great. But that's not to say that that won't turn around someday. So I think that at some point it's going to provide a buying opportunity and we should be on the lookout for that. It may not be right now, but we certainly can keep an eye and buy some bargains in the future. And finally, the last low priority for preparing for the next market crisis, 3% said using more smart beta ETFs. So again, another investment strategy using ETFs. Beta is the amount of risk that you're taking. If the beta is the same as the stock market beta, then you're not taking any more risk. If, you, if your investment has a higher beta, then you're taking more risk than the market. If your investment has a lower beta than the average of the market index, then you're taking less risk. You'll have less volatility than the entire market. So yes, that can be a strategy. You can look at that and make sure that you're not overall in too high of risk investments. Will we see more market volatility? Yes, I think we will. I think we are in a time of more extreme volatility. We are certainly overdue for that 20% pullback I've been talking about for a while now. It is regular and natural that it occurs. And about every six years, we have a 10% pullback in the market. About every 11 years, we have a 20% pullback in the market. And that doesn't mean the market ends at the end of the year down that much. It means during the year, it pulls back that much. For example, in 2007, the market did go down 48% and it closed on the last day of the year down 38%. So it was down almost 50% at one point, but it didn't close on the year down that much. So I'm talking about the intra-year volatility of 10% pullbacks and 20% pullbacks. We do have those on regular cycle basis, and that's something that you can use to your advantage. You can have some cash available to make some bargain purchases when that happens and be ready to buy your favorite companies when that happens. 
It's all part of investing, the volatility, the fear, the risk. It's all part of investing in the stock market. And these things don't change. The only thing that changes is people sometimes think it's different this time and it's not. It's always following the same patterns, cycles, same things happen. It's different causes perhaps that are causing these pullbacks and volatility, but we do have this as a natural course of investing. And I actually think it's a good thing because you have to be on your toes. You have to have some fear, be that contrarian investor that when everyone's greedy, you're fearful. And when everyone's fearful, you're greedy. (laughs) That's what Warren Buffett says. And I think that's a good mantra to live by as an investor. I will post this article uh, on the show notes and so you can see it. Again, you can pick up a copy of my book, learn more about bubbles and cycles. It is one of the things that has made a huge difference in my life. And I think it would be something that you would benefit from to learn more about these things. It's not something the everyday investor or financial advisor will be able to talk with you about. As I said, it wasn't in the industry. It wasn't talked about in the industry. It was only after I was out of the industry that I really got into learning more about bubbles and cycles. If we haven't yet connected on Instagram, head on over to instagram.com forward slash Linda P. Jones and get my daily wealth tips. Twice a day, you've got tips and quotes and suggestions and little teachings that you can put into practice every day to get to financial freedom faster. That's all for today. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.